At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, welcome to the Lions of Liberty and the Electric Liberty Land, episode number 145, pre-roll. want to tell you guys, I mentioned the $50 new Nittany Pride level we've got for our Patreon supporters, and I'm proud to say, actually, I'm proud to welcome two additions who jumped on that, Kale and my man in Hawaii, Craig. I'm not going to say their full names on the podcast yet. Maybe down the road, if they want me to, I shall reveal this, but for the sake of privacy, because, you know, who knows if they want their names out there being associated with a libertarian podcast or not? I know I might not. Kind of regret not using an alias. <laughs> no, I kid. I'm a very proud man, proud to have my name out there. But you guys can join up either at our $50 level or below. As little as $2 to get in on our Pride Facebook group, which is private. Fantastic group of people in there. That gives you access to all of our live streaming. Gives you access to the uh, the Pride conversations that go on, the Bobby Wilson hosts. And just all the general fun of being in a super secret group. You got a key ring in the mail, little Orphan Annie, Dakota ring, all that good stuff. Or you can join at $5, gets you access to all of our content audio-wise. $10, you get access to all of our video archives. $15, you get on the Lions of Liberty emails, which is what I use to create this very show. So make sure you get in there, get in at the appropriate, comfortable level for you. And if that level still happens to be $0, well, then I would encourage you to go to lionsofliberty.store, buy yourself a taxation is death mug, buy yourself a t-shirt, or just wear a, you know, wear a placard around town that says Lions of Liberty on it. That would be fine, too. I'd appreciate it. Send us a picture. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Howdy ho, my little lemon heads, my little hot tamales, my little mica nikes, all of you delicious Halloween candies out there tuning in to listen to another episode of what I will presume is your favorite libertarian podcast, Electric Liberty Land, hosted by me. I'm in a good mood. You know why? Because it's October. And I love October. I love everything about it. I love the pumpkin spice shit. I love the fact that it's finally getting cool somewhat in Los Angeles, kind of. At least the nights are getting cool here. I love that I can drink cider with rum in it, which I'm doing right now. I love that we're doing our Halloween episode coming up in a few weeks. I'm going to be hosting, just like last year, we're going to host our Halloween special right here on Electric Liberty Land. <laughs> and if you're familiar with the Halloween specials, uh, let me just say, there are a couple shows every year you do not want to miss. Uh, our Thanksgiving bukkake is always one of them. Uh, and of course, the Halloween episode, wherein we've got the entire Lions crew taking part. Many horrible accents are done. And I'll just tease this high-level teaser. I'm pretty sure the episode title will be Jeffrey Epstein's Haunted Mansion. I'll let you run wild with your imaginations, thinking about all the fantastic fun we can have with that premise as we 
run around that mansion in our own minds. Now, additionally, we're going to be doing two rounds of our Liberty Draft, very special ghost drafts for that show. So I'm just pumped. I'm really excited about it, guys. And uh, I cannot wait for that, plus all the other shenanigans that come with the season. So happy fall to you. Happy October to all of you out there. Now, sadly, I wanted to start the show off Actually, let me see if I can do it. This is going to be a little bit ghetto style because I have to. I had to record this on my phone since YouTube has apparently figured out a way around the Ripper programs that allow me to pull audio and allow me to pull karaoke songs from YouTube and put them into MP3 format so I can use them in my show. So I'm a little bit screwed here trying to, like I had a whole song I was going to do, Promises, Promises by Naked Eyes about AOC's new A Just Society plan, which I'm going to be getting into. And, and that's going to pretty much dominate the show today. Although I'll be getting into some other stuff too, but they figured out some way to stop the rippers from ripping them. So I think I, I have to hit up Mark Claire, who, if you didn't know, hosted a karaoke business with another buddy of mine, our super, super lefty buddy hosted karaoke business for a while. So maybe I'll tell him to give me all of his song library so that I can use it to create the wonderful Liberty parodies I do for you guys. But sadly this week, nothing but I did pull this ghetto version of a commercial I wanted to play for you because I think it ties in nicely with the democratic socialist strategy that we see play out in today's world. When you sip, sip. on some soup, soup, have Campbell's chicken, chicken. they're twice, twice as nice. nice. Campbell's chicken, chicken. This is no double talk. Every one of Campbell's chicken soups is made with two chicken stocks. One for richness, one for flavor. So they're richer and just plain more chickeny than chicken soup by any other name. There's Campbell's chicken chicken noodles, Campbell's chicken chicken with rice, and Campbell's chicken chicken and stars. The part of Boston that's nicest, nicest is the part that you say. Twicest, twicest, they're twice, twice as nice. nice have Campbell's chicken, chicken. They're the best, best you can eat. eat. They're a chicken, chicken treat. treat. They're mm, mm, good. good. Campbell's chicken, chicken. When you think twice about chicken soup, you'll buy Campbell's chicken, chicken. Again, apologize for the quality of that. Uh, it was already pretty hissy because it's like from 1967 or something like that. <laughs> like it's a really old commercial. But I can't help listening to that commercial. And I intentionally went back and found because I remember, you know, basically I wanted to find something because of the title of the episode, uh, uh, you know, Big Bowl of Socialist Stupid. I wanted to find something. Initially, I was thinking that that old soup production company thing was like, that's good soup. But then I came across that commercial, which is even better. Because... The reason it's so apropos to what they're doing right now with this entire AOC plan and everything the Democrats are trying to roll out here with all these plans is it is a chicken chicken soup, right? It's just the same old shit. It says it's still just chicken soup. It's the same thing that we've been spoon fed by the government for all these years, right? It's comfort food in the way that they're going to tell you. We're going to take care of you, right? If you're sick, if you're not, if you're economically not doing well, if you're not doing so good in life here, we're going to give you a little comfort food, right? Here's a little chicken soup in the name of welfare. Here's a little chicken soup in the name of Medicare. Here's a little chicken soup in the name of unemployment uh, benefits. Here's a little chicken soup in the name, in the way of, you know, what food stamps, whatever else it is. Any of the many, many, many government programs, which we spend more than any other point in history on. And which raised something like, I'm blanking on the exact stat, but I think they went up something like 
30% under Obama. I mean, ridiculous amounts of spending going into welfare programs that cover everything from education to medical to food to, you know, all these other things, unemployment, everything under the, the umbrella of government's going to take, uh, take care of you. Government's going to make it all right. You don't have to worry about shit. Just keep voting for us and we'll keep doling out the chicken soup. And what we're seeing now, as we look at these democratic debates, as we look at the programs that are rolling out, and especially with AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's new adjust society plan, they're just chickening up the chicken soup. It's just more of the same bullshit. It's like, okay, you weren't comfortable enough with the free benefits that we were giving you by taking money from other people or by pillaging the public's trust and public uh, expenditures in order to dole out these benefits to people. And again, this is all uh, in a position to keep power, to keep a base, to keep a placated society. And as I've discussed so many times in the show before, and I'll get into it as we go through the, the point by point, all of these programs, well, I can't say all of them. The majority of these programs inevitably end up hurting the people that they're trying to help. And there's a lot of different things going to that, which I'll get into. But look, they're rolling out chicken, chicken soup here. They're all doubling down on, we need to spend more money on welfare. We need to give people more money, even if they're not citizens of the country. We need to double our spending or triple our spending and give even illegal immigrants all of the welfare benefits. We need to make sure that people can work and not even have to work. We got to make sure people have a, a living wage and even if they don't want to work and they want to sit on the couch, well, they still get a wage. It's chicken, chicken soup. And all it, all it amounts to is socialism packaged in a beautiful can with a nice fancy wrapper and branded as something different when it is de facto socialism, the same thing that has taken down country after country after country. When it, and we're like walking the double line here. We're overspending at home. We're racking up massive trillion-dollar deficits to take care of this woeful population that expects now to have its chicken soup flown into its mouth like the airplane. And at the same time, we're continuously undergoing uh, military operations in every goddamn arena across the globe. And I want to talk about, you know, I'm going to get into Trump and Syria in just a minute too. Not, not a minute, probably 30 minutes the way I ramble. Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. Let's get, let's get back to the chicken chicken soup. That is AOC's new adjust society bill. And this is actually a package of like four or five, actually it's five different acts. The Recognizing Poverty Act, the Place to Prosper Act, the Embrace Act, the Mercy and Reentry Act, and the Uplift Workers Act, plus guarantees, well, this just says it guarantees the economic, social, and cultural rights for all, which I, what the fuck is a cultural right what is a cultural right? Can somebody answer me that? The left has two things. So there's apparently cultural rights, which are ill-defined here. The cultural rights, as I can figure out here, uh, is that there's something called the ICESCR, which is the International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights. And they, she has a bill that instructs the executive branch to reinitiate the international covenant, right? And basically make sure that it's put into place throughout, uh, I, again, I don't even know. This is, it, like all of her plans, this is so kind of amorphous. 
they wanted to put it back into place. And this covenant states that all persons have the right to work, comma, fair and just conditions of work, social security, an adequate standard of living, including adequate food, clothing, housing, and healthcare. Apparently, that's a cultural right. Now, I don't understand how that can be a cultural right in a society that has, up to this point, not had that embedded in its culture as something that was assured by the government. So how the fuck exactly (laughs) does that get put into play? And how exactly is this international covenant? I don't know who signed it. I don't know who created it. It certainly sounds to me like an authoritarian overworld government type of deal that will keep people in check, similar to what the United Nations, or not, sorry, I'm not the United Nations, similar to what the European Union is trying to do, and which I went through, I think, uh, three or four episodes ago, just seems like the most insane, uh, no way back, kind of go down this dirt road into this haunted spooky woods, wherein a government body that you do not elect gets to dictate Every single thing you do, including taxation, including what gets in and out of your borders, who comes in and out of your borders, what rights people are now granted under your society, even if you did not have them embedded in that at any point, nor vote for them or ratify them. This is kind of the road we're going down. Anyway, make sure that you don't culturally appropriate anybody else's cultural rights, guys, while you're avoiding appropriating their culture. You don't want to have dreadlocks, but then also appropriate their... uh, I don't know, adequate food. So let's start at the beginning, though. Recognizing Poverty Act. Now, the Recognizing Poverty Act is supposedly designed to recognize and eradicate poverty. Now, the funny thing about this is that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as do many people that think like her, is under the impression, number one, that we have a severe poverty issue. We do not. We, in fact, have the lowest issues with poverty that have ever existed on a global scale. Now, you could say that in this country, the poverty level has not dropped. Well, two things on that. Number one, they adjust the poverty level. So realistically, the poverty level today is about 45,000 times higher than it would have been in the past. People, when they talk about poverty, and and what we're describing when we talk about poverty is what people would averagely think about as really struggling to have food, struggling to have clothing, struggling to have housing, living, I mean, at the lowest possible means. That's not the poverty of today. It's not even fucking close. And as I said, globally, it's not even close. People have been taken out of poverty on a global level where the truthful, the real poverty rate is something like 5% now. Those who are in real dire poverty. The poverty that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is talking about is all in the context of income inequality. The less new golden phrase that encompasses everything they want to accomplish and for which, of course, they can blame the evil capitalists and the CEOs and the banks and everything else that they want to say is, is the fault of capitalism, is the fault of the almighty dollars, the fault of heartless individuals who don't care about workers and everything else, all the other bullshit you've heard. Now, additionally, I want to point out that I'm looking at a graph. This is uh, as of 2017. Poverty level and welfare spending per person in poverty has gone up to the point where we're spending about $19,000 per person in poverty. And the poverty level, it says as of 2017 in the United States, as defined by, again, this adjusting scale, is at approximately 13%. 
So it's gone down from a high of 15%. But again, they adjust the line. So it's pretty much always going to stay the same because they keep adjusting the scale of it. Now, AOC's perspective and Bernie Sanders, all these other places, all these other people, is that because of income inequality, i.e., despite the fact that we have a poverty level that's rising, we have a standard of living that is the highest it's ever been, that the majority of people in poverty still have plenty of food, they have clothing, they have uh, education, they have access to running water, they have access to housing and heat and everything else. Despite that fact, and despite the fact that they are on average making far greater amounts of money if they are working than their predecessors could have ever imagined, that the fact that other people are making 500 times that amount a la the Bernie Sanders tax plan to tax CEOs of companies if they're getting paid 500 times the average worker median. Because of that fact, somehow, this means that the people in the poverty line or the people that are down lower are being disserviced. Again, despite the fact that they're living much better lives than at any point, if we're looking at poverty over time, they're living much, much better lives than at any point comparably to people that would have been classified in their social strata or economic strata. That doesn't matter because shame on the people making so much more money. They don't deserve it. In fact, the people at the bottom who aren't working, who are uh, maybe, we don't even know what to do. I don't want to presume. I know people have come on hard times. I don't want to presume that everybody's bilking the system, that everybody is, uh, is essentially put in the gilded cage, which I've spoken about several times, wherein they're actually disincentivized from going out and getting a job because then they lose their benefits, then they lose access to their cheap government housing and all these other things. I'm sure not everybody's in that bucket, but a lot of them are. And Ocasio-Cortez now with her plan, again, this is called the Recognizes and Eradicates Poverty. She's arguing that there are growing holes in social safety programs, again, despite the fact that we're spending more on them than ever in the history of our country, that more people are on the rolls of welfare or Medicaid or Medi- you know, any of the programs. More people are on them than ever before. Despite all those facts, she says that we now have to adjust the federal poverty line to account for geographic cost variations. So instead of just saying, okay, here's a federal limit, if you are making below this amount, you are now considered in poverty on a federal scale. Now she's saying it should go by city and city basis. Now, that does make some sense. However, one could also argue that people should not be living in exceptionally high-cost areas if they are, in fact, in poverty. Now, I know I'm going to get some shit for people by arguing this, but we look at the past, right? People didn't just stay in a city that was way too expensive for them just because they wanted to, just because they, you know, they grew up there. They said, you know, it's too expensive here. I'm getting out. I'm moving. And don't tell me that to move and to do all these things is, is far too much money because you could simply accomplish that. You can move across country and find a nice cheap place to do, but it's by saving up a little dough. And if you're moving to someplace in the middle of nowhere, which costs almost nothing to live, and there's places where the cost of living is so low that you can essentially have an apartment, feed your two kids on McDonald's salary out in the middle of nowhere. These are accomplishable goals. Trust me. And people throughout American history have up left, taken the family, gone to somewhere cheaper, gone to greener pastures. They don't just sit in San Francisco and go, well, it's too expensive for me to live here now. Somebody better give me more money so I'm able to stay here. 
Even though I'm not contributing to the new society that's grown up around me, even though I'm not providing anything of value, I demand that because I am here, because I was born in this place, that I be given a dole at a higher rate than anybody else, simply based upon family heritage. I don't know, simply based upon geographic sluggitude. And I know that some people, they say, well, why should people be forced to move out of a city just because the cost of living is higher? Well, I would argue that they're not being forced to do anything. It is, in fact, your choice whether or not you want to stay there, but it's not the people who now are there that are paying the higher rates, that are thriving in this new economy, that are adding to it, that are building upon what was come before them, that are adding to society in general. It's not on them, nor it is on government as a whole, to provide for people who were not able to keep pace. And, of course, I know the left will say this. They'll say, well, well, the people you're talking about have benefited from white privilege and education, and they benefited from this and that and the other one. That may be true. They may have benefited from better education. Maybe they benefited from, quote, unquote, white privilege. But there's certainly a lot of programs designed just to help that already exist by virtue of our massive government. And if these people don't take advantage of them, either because of the gilded cage problem, wherein it's no incentive for them to take advantage of these programs because they will lose the benefits, which Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to greatly increase based upon where you live. Well, that's on them. I mean, I just, I can't stand this concept of forgiving and forgetting anything that people who are of a lower economic status have done. I know there's challenges involved there, but when I see stuff like this where they say, well, throw more money at it, that's the solution. Throw more money at it and, uh, you know, these people work it on their own. We've seen it doesn't work. It's not that I don't feel bad for these people. It's not that I don't have sympathy. I have absolute sympathy for people that are trying to make it work or people that have hit on hard times. But at the same time, I don't believe in simply coddling somebody and then expecting them to somehow get the gumption up to leave a life of maybe it's not the greatest leisure, but still a life of arguable leisure where you don't have to work. You don't have to do anything and you're taken care of. And then on top of that, if everything around you gets nicer, if society gets better around you, if your neighborhood gets nicer and and everybody around is making more money, but you stay in the same rut, that they say, ah, don't worry about it. We'll make sure you get more money. I mean, this is fundamentally fucked. It is just fundamentally fucked. What I'd much rather see is an opportunity given to these people. I'd much rather see something like economic zones wherein, well, of course, I'd rather see this nationwide uh, all over, but I'd rather see zones wherein people are incentivized to become entrepreneurs because they're not getting taxed to death. They're, they're incentivized to go to improve their educational standing because they have the money to do that. I mean, if you don't have all of this emphasis on stay where you are and we'll take care of you, chicken soup, chicken, chicken soup, then people are actually going to go, you know what, I got to do something. I got to get the fuck out of here. And that's either moving away or making yourself better so that you can, in fact, compete in the workplace in that environment. And this gets even worse because, you know, we know you've got this government housing. We've got mandates where people have new buildings coming into place and they're, they're supposed to give at least 30% of the housing to underprivileged peoples and they have to sell the, sell the housing at lower rates. And they've done studies into this showing that all this does 
is disincentivize new landlords or land developers from putting in new high-level buildings or when they put in these buildings because they know they have to put in 30% low-rent buildings, then they say, okay, well, I'm not going to build a middle-of-the-road apartment complex. Instead, I'm going to build an ultra-luxury complex that has less units and is not affordable to the general population because I have to make up for 30% of my units, essentially, essentially, essentially losing me money. Naturally, this goes into AOC's next plan, which is called a creates a place to prosper. Uh, the place to prosper bill. So the concept of this is that AOC doesn't want people on the brink of eviction. And we need to make sure that this will protect tenants from being evicted, which landlords love that. More, much more incentive to rent to people who have lower standard of living and might not have solid work and might not have uh, impeccable references if you can't fucking evict them ever. Great idea. Ah, sorry. This bill protects tenants, improves the quality of housing stock, reigns in corporate landlords, and seeks to ensure that housing is available and affordable to all. Now, again, I'm not reading these whole bills right now because this thing just came out and I don't have the time to read 55 pages of, of uh, content. But just based upon... This bill, I know essentially it's going to be in it because they just did this in New York. They just passed bills that are trying to limit rent increases. Now, I read other breakdowns of this, which said that she wanted to max the rent increases out at 5%. Plays exactly into what I was just talking about. If you're essentially limiting the ability of developers to charge market rates, to increase the amount of rates. Now, this also, I don't know if this has specific um measures in it like the New York bill because the New York bill, the one they tried to pass essentially said that you can only raise the market rate. Well, they used to be on the books. It was that you could raise the market rate to a point where if it got above, it was like 25 or $2,700 a month. Now the 5% increase no longer applied because now this is essentially a market rate unit. It's above the line where a middle low income family could afford it anyway. So now you're free to charge pure market rate, whatever you want on that that uh, building, if it turns over, you know, if that apartment becomes available, you can jack it up. I guess Alexander Ocasio-Cortez is prohibiting that. So now you've got people that are going to develop these buildings. They're not going to be able to keep up potentially, even with the rate of inflation, they're definitely not going to be able to keep up with market value, especially in dense places like San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, wherein you not only have a housing shortage because of red tape and environmental issues, uh, which is a huge problem here in Los Angeles, but you also have the issue of, like I said earlier, mandated low-income housing. So you've got units that are not going to be built because they don't want to build standard mid-level units because they're going to lose money on them. And then you also have a dearth of housing available because you do have people that are simply squatting in markets or, or squatting in apartments in these markets, and they're never going to leave. And the landlords know they're never going to leave. So they have no incentive to make these nicer. They have no, no incentive to develop the slum-style neighborhoods. So you're going to assure that you continue to have people living in poverty and your you know, the uh, the cultural rights that we're talking about earlier. Shouldn't it be a cultural right to not have to live in a slum if we're arguing that that side of things? Shouldn't a cultural right be the ability to have some mobility in life? Now, the number one guarantee of social mobility is actually an intact, intact family unit. That's just straight statistics. And I'm talking about the Gilded Cage. I'll say it again. 
when you have measures on the books because of all these government programs, because of welfare, because of uh, you know parental rights and how you get more money if you have a, a single family home with a mother, well, why would she get back together with the husband? Because as soon as that guy comes into the house, she loses money. So she's essentially got to keep her child away from the father in order to continue getting paid at the level she was getting paid at. I mean, you could see how all these things, they all intend to do good, and yet all they end up doing is evil and assuring the opposite happens to what they're designed to do. All right, let's do another, let's look at one more, and then I'll take a little break and come back and do the other ones. How about this one? A just society embraces our immigrants. Oh, well, you know where this is going. Because AOC wants to assure that immigrants get all of the benefits, all of the welfare access that regular citizens do in the country. Starting right away, and anybody that comes in, they're they're, they're surely welcome to. (laughs) So this bill ensures all persons in need are eligible for the largest programs of the social safety net, regardless of their immigration status. Where to start? California has already started giving illegal immigrants money already paying for their health care. We all know where this is going. We all know that this is for one reason, one reason only, and that is to assure that the next generation of illegal children that, uh, that are born here and become American citizens that are birthed in, that they will be pressured into de- voting Democrat, that they will buy into the social net because their parents will say how wonderful it was that all of the rest of us had to pay for their health insurance when they got here. And if you don't think that I mean, if if anybody would just simply acknowledge that immigration is still a problem right now because of the net we have in place currently, and the Democrats used to be on that side of things. Now, I know a lot of libertarians are for open borders. I would be too, were we in a society that didn't have this massive nanny state, that didn't have this massive welfare system in place. I would be too. But the fact is we don't. And the fact is all of these lefty programs want to chicken, chicken soup it up on us and double up what we're paying now. I mean, how would this not? increase the amount of money spent. Medicaid and Medicare are already some of the biggest expenses on the national rolls. So now she wants to add in any illegal immigrant that comes here. So you know right off the bat, you're going to have all the illegals that are currently not having medical care raise their hands, which is probably you know high as 10 million or more. So you add instantly 10 million people. By the way, did you know that Obamacare added 10 million people? On the rolls in like the, the whatever the four years it's been in place, ten million. So instantly, ten million people. On top of that, you don't think that every single person in Mexico that needs some sort of medical care is going to venture up here for free benefits, free welfare, free health care, free all these things. And the thing is, I give Trump credit for this line in in, in a way, but. When you put that kind of offer out there, you're not going to get the best of the best coming here. You're going to get people that are down and out that are not, maybe not the rapists as Trump was uh, gesturing to in his campaigning days, but you're not going to get the fucking laureates. You're not going to get the poets and the artists and the geniuses. Those people probably don't need to come here for free health care. They don't need to trek across the desert and climb the border wall if that ever gets built or tunnel under it or hire hire a coyote to to get them over here. You're going to be attracting the dregs of the society because in Mexico, healthcare is cheap. So if people are coming over here to get healthcare, you know, they can't even afford Mexican healthcare. 
or they can't even afford to live in Mexico. They're going to come over here for the benefits specifically if you put something like this on the table. It's just all over a horrible idea. And again, incentivizes people to take advantage of the system. And who knows if they're ever going to stay here. People are going to come over here. It's going to be essentially medical tourism. Just fucking unbelievable. And no, no word about how any of this is going to be paid for, by the way. No, even not even a, a gesture as to what would possibly pay for this. All right, I'll be right back. I want to give you guys a quick spiel about another podcast. All right, guys, have you heard about Free Man Beyond the Wall? You might ask yourself, hey, I walk down a lot of streets. I don't hear anybody whispering that. I visited a lot of bathrooms. I don't hear anybody talking about it when I'm Going number one and number two, I haven't seen it written on any bathroom stall walls. How incredible can this podcast be? Well, let me tell you, it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn fine. It comes from a man that I know and I consider a friend. You might know him of many names. Originally, Mance Raider, then Pete Raymond, now Pete Quinones. And he has the podcast Du Jour, which is, of course, Free Man Beyond the Wall, having great interviews with not just libertarian guests, but also guests from a wide spectrum. And, uh, and you know, Pete's going to become a really good interviewer. And uh, I found myself sucked in. He also happens to be the managing editor of the Libertarian Institute. Interesting stuff. Anyway, check out Free Man Beyond the Wall. And, of course, you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are heard. All right, I'm back. Uh, oh, if you want to show notes for this episode, by the way, I forgot to say this at the beginning. Go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL145. Now, come back into this rambling, scrambling episode as I go through Alexander Cortez's Little plan here. A just society. Such a stupid name. I just, God, you know what really bugs me too about this? What is just exactly? Because it's so utterly subjective. Because I know Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, the societies she would consider just are the ones that I would consider absolute nightmare societies that are run by authoritarians looking to control the populace by virtue of chicken, chicken soup. And which we have seen time and time again, collapse on themselves in a matter of years. Typically, under a decade is all it takes for the inflation to start up, for the rulers to become absolutely corrupt, for the people to starve, and for violent revolution to take place in the streets. Because I don't know, how, how else do you have it? You know the dictators aren't going to give up their power. So there's no other option at that point. You're starving to death. You've got no, uh, you've got no power. You've got no money because your money is now worth zero. We looked at what Venezuela's happened there. There you go. You're stuck. But that's a just society to Alexandria Casio Cortez. All right, let's move on to the next thing. We already talked about the recognizes and eradicates poverty bill. We already looked at creates a place to prosper bill. We already looked at embrace our immigrants bill, and now we'll look to. A just society is merciful. Mercy in reentry bill. And this, I actually like this one. Not that I approve of giving people benefits in general, but at least if they're going to get benefits, I do think that people that are in need of aid that is already being gifted out to everybody all over the place for the most ridiculous reasons. And, uh, and listening to some of Rico's stories about the disability court system, and uh, at those which receive benefits with little investigation is uh, always interesting. But 
this essentially says that people that were previously incarcerated are now eligible to take part in the social safety net. Um, so that's just something because I didn't even, in truth, I didn't even realize that this was a big problem. I didn't realize that if you're a criminal, you can't come out and not get access to federal public benefits because of a criminal conviction. So, you know, I, I hate to say it, but on this front, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has actually got me. And, and I'm going to come back because there's one thing she said recently, too, which I also agree with, which is in regards to the prison system as well. So I guess on the mercy in reentry bill, I can get behind that. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. And yeah, if it's out there, if everybody else under the goddamn sun has access to it, I don't think you being arrested should have anything to do with your ability to have access to it, especially when we do see, and she does say it in this platform, we see the mass incarceration across the board for it just completely what I view as illegitimate uh, incarceration for purposes of drug use, for purposes of uh, just any number of idiotic reasons that the government might make up out of thin blue air. Um, the next one, uplift our workers bill. This directs the Department of Labor to create a, quote, worker-friendly score for federal contracts. This considers factors such as paid family leave, scheduling predictability, a $15 minimum wage, or otherwise prevailing wage, and union membership to ensure that federal agencies prioritize contractors that are, quote, worker-friendly when deciding to issue funds. You can see how fucked up that bill is, huh? So you're telling me now that in order to get public funds, if this bill passes, you have to have a company that is union-friendly, i.e., the only companies that are going to get public money are those that are democratically backed and controlled. That's essentially what that means. How is this not like, you know, I know it's illegal to go out and specifically promise money to people or specific benefits to people and campaigning in like a quid pro quo. Like Andrew Yang's not allowed to specifically say, I will give you this money for voting for me. Now, granted, he kind of walked that line in the last debate where he gave out that uh, the money for the essays. But how is this not essentially saying, hey, if you're in a union, if you vote the way we want you to vote, this bill assures that federal money will be funneled to you. I mean, that is literally what it says. If they're using this, quote, worker-friendly score that bases in a large part, I would say the largest part, based upon a prevailing wage, i.e. union wages, or the fact that they work with unions, that essentially is buying the union block, that essentially is forcing companies into working with unionized labor in order to get any government contract. I mean, this has got to be the most cronious piece of legislation I've ever seen proposed in my entire fucking life. And of course, this goes directly head to head with all the right to work bills that are passing in states that have actually wised up and nodded their head up their ass that realize that cronious union organizations are holding down people's ability to work and that they limit the ability of the company to evolve and keep competitive in, the, in today's marketplace, especially with globalization going on, that we see what's happening in the manufacturing sector. Wherein, if you've got unions in place that are used to these massive pensions, these massive benefits that simply do not exist anymore in the free private sector, 
They're not competitive. You cannot promise that sort of thing. And for them to demand it and say, now you have to have union work in order to be able to compete and get federal grants is just absolutely insane. It's like I was saying, all of these programs, they feel like, you know, AOC, I'm sure, was like, this is a brilliant way to force more union labor in there and make it more fair for the worker. But it does the opposite. All it does is keep people out of the workplace. All it does is force them to pay union dues, which, of course, is money out of their salaries, which they could have negotiated on their own were they not forced to join a union or forced to join a company that says, well, you know, now everybody's got to join a union. Like the companies are going to make people join unions in order to get these government grants, even if you don't want to. It's just, it's outrageous. Out goddamn rageous. So that wraps it up pretty much. That I ran the gamut. This is way too long. I didn't mean to do this long of uh, a breakdown of it, but I don't know, just rambling. I already talked about the last part, the uh, social and cultural rights. So the one thing I wanted to say, though, you know, AOC was tweeting and she said she was for prison abolition as part of a broader restructuring of the criminal justice system. Quote, mass incarceration is our American reality. It is a system whose logic evolved from the same lineage as Jim Crow, American apartheid and slavery. I don't know about that. It's a little bit extreme, but still. To end it, we have to change. That means we have to have a real conversation about decarceration and prison abolition in this country. Now, if you listen to Felony Friday, which, of course, you can hear every Friday, hosted by John Odermatt, you know that this is a statement that I agree with, that it is, I mean, the number of people incarcerated in this country, the quote-unquote freest country in the world, is astounding. We have the highest incarceration rate of anybody, even more than the Chinese, and in most of it's based upon minor infringements or three strike rules like the Clintons put into place or Joe Biden's efforts or minor drug offenses, nonviolent crime, all of these things. Out of, so I agree. I would love a, uh, a an abolishment of prison. Now, at the same time, I acknowledge there's certain times where there, there's going to be some people, violent psychopath murders, you're going to need to put them somewhere. You can't let them roam free. And even our libertarian society of saying, okay, well, you know, you can, you can uh, have restitution for that. You know, if you kill somebody, you can have restitution in the way of money or, you know, whatever else, however you want to work it out between the two of you. Sometimes that ain't going to work. Sometimes people are just insane. You do have to have a place to put them. However, a massive restructuring that allows most of the people that are in prison to get out, especially if they're nonviolent, I'm all for it. And I'm also for an emphasis on diversion programs, which she also tweeted about. And, you know, I'm impressed of an initiative on, on taking this on. It's a good idea. I mean, diversion programs are highly effective, especially when you look at youth. If you can avoid having a kid go on patrol, if you can or uh, on a parole, if you can avoid having a child go to a juvenile justice system, all it does is make the problems that they have worse. All it does is put them in a position where now you can't get a job. Now you got a rap sheet. Now good luck getting into a college. And that applies for people that are out of the juvenile justice system and just regular society. You know how hard it is to get a felony removed from your record or get a job with it? I mean, if we can avoid having people go to prison, have these diversion programs where they can go and work, go to counseling, go do whatever to avoid a prison sentence, which, by the way, we all pay for, vastly cheaper, vastly better outcomes, and vastly better society that we all live in. So on that, I'll give you a kudos, AOC. Oh, and by the way, it was pretty funny. The uh, the troll, and it was definitely a troll that was yelling about eating babies at AOC's town hall meeting. Pretty goddamn hilarious. I appreciate them. That was from LaRoche Pack. 
which is a, a pro-Trump group. So, eh, you know, I, I, I like that they question climate change. Don't get me wrong, but anybody that's a pro-Trump pack, I'm a little suspicious of, but still some fantastic, fantastic trolling about eating the babies. Uh, what should we get into next? Oh, I want to talk about this real quick. And I'm going to, uh, I got to do a longer, I'm going to, I'm going to make up this shorter episode with a longer episode because I'm going to be out of town for next week's show. So I have to pre-record a show and I'm trying to think of what I want to do with it, but I'm going to going to have to put a little bit more time and effort into that. I might do something a little thematic. So I got to think about that and record that this week. So I'll make it up to you guys, but I do want to talk about a couple of things. Number one, this <laughs> just the state states get a state. So Pennsylvania bill would legalize pot, make the state the only seller. This is under consideration in the state house of representatives. It would totally legalize recreational use of marijuana. However, it would also put that under the purview of the Pennsylvania liquor control board. So the state would have a complete monopoly on the sale of cannabis. Now, <laughs> If you're going to do that, number one, it's going to be incredibly controlled. Now, if you don't know about Pennsylvania, it's already a ridiculous system they have where beer and wine and alcohol are in separate stores. You can only get them at certain times. You couldn't buy them on the weekend, on Sundays for a long time. So I don't like to have the state control anything in regards to that. But it also gives a pure monopoly to the state. So now, we don't know the quality coming in of it. You don't have options coming into it. It's all dependent on state control and state distribution, and they're going to tax the living shit out of it. That much we definitely know. But also, what about the other story? Like, what about competition coming in? What about, you know, in Los Angeles, there's crony competition because Los Angeles has made it so difficult to get a license to sell pot here that you pretty much only have the big, big corporate stores. However, still, there is competition. There is options. People do have the ability to try to start up a new store, and you do see them fighting for that right. If you have a state control, you're not going to have any ability to have competition. And then the question arises of when you're taxing something at 19%, which is what the proposal is for, aren't you just going to have thousands of black markets spring up anyway? Like, what are you accomplishing other than putting high-priced marijuana on the market, which then the taxpayers are going to end up on the on the hook for because no one's going to be going in and buying it because they can just simply get black market weed at far cheaper prices. That's probably better anyway. Now, the one benefit of this is that this bill would actually go through it. Let's say the proposed bill, it would expunge people's records under 21 for marijuana convictions, which is great. It has another a lot of other kind of fringe benefits as far as criminal justice. But as a whole, I don't want the state controlling the sale of anything. The state shouldn't be controlling the sale of alcohol, firearms, tobacco, or any of the other shit. So I definitely don't want them controlling the sale of marijuana. And at the same time, if you know this too, this you know for a fact, if the state has complete control and a monopoly over the sale of marijuana, there ain't no chance you're going to be able to grow your own. Like in California, I'm still surprised we have this, but we do have the ability to grow our own marijuana plants like up to six. It's still restricted. But if Pennsylvania's got a monopoly on all sales of marijuana, you can guarantee if you have one marijuana plant on your fucking property, they are going to come after your ass. Because now you're not just a guy who likes to smoke weed. Now you're competition for the state. And we know the state don't like competition. All right, let's get a little bit into Syria at the end of the show. 
Uh, you guys, I'm sure have heard that Trump is pulling troops out of Syria, at least northern part, because he does not want to get in the way of a Turkish bombardment against the Kurds. Now, I'm not saying I'm a fan of what Turkey is or what they're doing. And if you're not familiar with the conflict between the, uh, the Kurds and the Turkish government, basically the Kurds want to separate. They want to get uh, their own state in place. They are a religious minority. They are, in fact, Christian. And uh, with Turkey's religious base being a lot of Muslims, you know, there's a, uh, a little bit of a clash of cultures there. Now, Kurdistan is not Kurdistan. That's using the old thing. Uh, the Kurds have been attacked by the Turkish government over time and time again. They were depopulated and forced out of certain sectors of the country. Uh, they were attacked and some say massacred. I don't know exactly what the numbers were on that, but they've had a hard lot in life. So the United States backed these forces, these Kurdish forces in the fight against ISIS. They were considered our allies. And of course, Turkey was also considered our ally before the most recent president Erdogan took over. Erdogan has now sidled up to the Russians and thus has rankled United States opinions, um, rightly or wrongly. And there's of course a worry also that Turkey, which used to be a secular government now has gone full bore into, uh, Islam. So that's a, that's a quick background. What's happening now is that I guess Trump got wind that Turkey wants to go forward with this military assault on the Kurds. Uh, once again, just dominant because the Kurds have some military power, but a lot of that's probably weapons that we've given them. Nowhere near the military might of Turkey, which just bought a brand new fleet of uh, fighter planes from the Russians, has a bunch of our like F-16s over there, has a bunch of armament, a bunch of missiles, etc., Essentially, they're going to just roll over these people who are already hurting and downtrodden. So let's just—I just putting that out there to say I have a soft spot for the Kurds and what they've gone through. I think that Turkey is in the wrong here. I think they should just leave these people the fuck alone and let them have a state. However, I am not under any disillusions about the United States being involved in this. And you're seeing—I think Rand Paul is the only senator on the GOP to say we need to get the hell out of there. You know, and, and it's and I've seen other pundits and I'll make the same point. I, I did a whole episode title about this, but we are not on the hook to have American lives sacrificed for other people abroad. I know that they were our allies. I know that they were useful in this fight against ISIS. Trump saying that when ISIS caliphates was beaten, that's why we're pulling out. We have no more reason to be there. Fine. Good. I don't know why we were there in the first fucking place, but good. Get us out of there. And I'm sorry. I feel for these people. I'm sure Turkey's going to go in and wipe a pretty good amount of them out. That's not a reason for the United States to stay and for U.S. military members to die. It's just simply not. Because you could argue based upon that premise, well, we shouldn't allow anybody to die that we're, uh, that we're affiliated with. Okay, great. So that means that no matter what's going on in other parts of the world, no matter who wants to do what, we are essentially just fine with sacrificing American lives, despite the fact that we really have very little tangible reason to be there, that our mere presence is probably creating more enemies for the United States. And the people that signed up for the military, they didn't sign up to go and die for Johnny Kurd over there. They didn't sign up for that. They signed up to protect their country, to protect their family, or make money for their family at home, which they're not going to be able to do if they're dead in the Middle East somewhere. So good on Trump for pulling out of this. Maybe he's actually going to finally come through with this promise to end the endless wars, and he even tweeted about that. 
put a stop to the endless wars that America is constantly fighting. So I, like I said, I'm sorry for these people, but me feeling sorry for them or anyone feeling sorry for them doesn't mean that American blood gets spilled. At some point, there has to be a ceasing. It has to stop. Otherwise, we're going to see a lot more American blood spilled when our fucking entire republic collapses on itself. Because this is how it happens. Overspending and increasing the empire to the point where it can't sustain itself. And that's pretty much where the, we're right on the brink. All right, that's all I had to say about that. Uh, last thing I want to talk about real quick, just a quick funny story. The idiots of the week is that we have the Church of the UK, the Church of England, says that the UK must ban pointy knives. <laughs> so they, uh, this is a open letter from the Diocese of Rochester, signed by church leaders, lawmakers, psychiatrists, etc. We, the undersigned, are professionals and community leaders from across the UK who call on government to see the sale of pointed domestic kitchen knives as a thing of the past. Historically, we needed a point on the end of our knife to pick up food because forks weren't invented. <laughs> now we only need the point to open packets when we can't be bothered to find the scissors. <laughs> they also they also want, uh, well, this is from a conservative member of parliament, they also want the, uh, the handles of knives to be in, inserted with a GPS tracker. This, of course, is in the wake of London and England as a whole have has a massive rash of stabbings. Now, half of these are just crazy drunks. Half of them are the immigrants that have come over, uh, at least statistically. It's not all immigrants. It's not all drunks, but it's a nice combination of the two. But of course, they don't have the gun violence there, which is, I suppose, a good thing, except when somebody randomly does get a gun and decides to shoot some people, which also happens. But as we always argue, just because you don't have a gun, just because you don't have a bazooka, just because you don't have X, Y, or Z option, doesn't mean that you're not a violent person or that violence isn't going to occur. And in fact, even the United States with all of our guns, knife stabbings and stabbings by knives are still far, far higher than guns. So this is the next step. Now we're going to ban knives. Oh, we got to ban guns. We're going to ban knives. Then what? You're going to ban scissors? Then people are going to use forks. You're going to ban forks? I mean, this is just like the idiotic slippery slope where people cannot be trusted with the basic tools of living because God knows they could do something evil with them. I mean, this is the insidious nature of government. This is how government gets along by virtue of scaring you to the point where your safety is paramount. And by virtue of your safety being paramount, you now have no access to anything with which you can, you can hurt anybody else nor defend yourself. Only the government has the monopoly on violence, and the UK is going down that road so fast that it might as well be called the fucking Roadrunner. All right, I got to wrap this up. Uh, so, guys, thank you so much for listening. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.